Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast, a weekly program in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding national liberal arts college. And we try to get that done in about 18 minutes and 53 seconds. In this 16th edition of the 1853 podcast of the 2019-20 school year, we'll hear from art professor Brian Ball. He has a fantastic new show on display in the Lynn G. Everett Gallery. Monmouth College historian and editor Jeff Rankin will look back on a momentous day that took place on campus 50 years ago. And longtime softball coach John Goddard will discuss his decision to hang up his spikes at the end of this season. To see what art professor and department chair Brian Baugh did during his sabbatical, be sure to drop by the Lynn G. Everett Gallery between now and February 16. That's where you can view the works in his new exhibit titled New Work. The Everett Gallery is located on the second floor of the Hughes Library, and it's open whenever the Hughes Library is open. Brian says that he decided to have the pieces in this exhibit focus on abstract work. Right up until the summer, so when, when school was out last May, um, I was still on the fence of what to do, and I started... I consider the sabbatical started in the summer, you know, um, because I always work in, in the summer months anyway on painting in the studio. And so the summer started with me doing both, like uh, making some realist paintings, doing a lot of drawing, just kind of thinking about what I wanted to do with that time, because it's really unusual in the life of a teaching artist to have a lot of open time to work. And so looking from like in May, looking ahead to January when the show would open, um, I really wanted to use that time wisely, you know, so... Um, so ultimately, I decided on, on, on doing this. Brian found inspiration for his current works, which were created with oils and acrylics, in several places. I think I started working doing abstract paintings maybe 10 years ago, 8, 10 years ago. Gradually at first, because I wasn't as confident with it as the realism. Um, and I would say the shapes kind of evolved and the forms of these, these paintings evolved, mostly from sketchbook work, you know. Um, if you've seen me at meetings or department meetings, I've often got a sketchbook and I'm doodling around as a <laughs> just a way to kind of occupy my hands. And these forms just seem to kind of flow from me. And so when I go to paint, if I'm stuck for ideas, I'll go back and flip through sketchbooks and find them. And, and it kind of evolves over time. Like, you, like I've tried to do more geometric abstraction that's more hard edge forms, but it just doesn't interest me, you know, as much. So it's, it's um, and, the, and the process of making these paintings is really spontaneous, you know, so um, I'm not sure where it's going to go. So I start making marks and see what happens and then just keep going and going. And, and eventually it, it kind of evolves into something that you, th you think starts to gel and works for you, you know, so, um, so it's really spontaneous, I would say. And I'd say an another take on that would be they come from nature because being a realist artist for a long time, I spent a lot of time drawing trees and natural organic forms um, you know, animal skulls, leaves, things like that. And so I think that my natural sense of form comes from all that kind of organic, natural, uh, natural stuff. Over the past few years of slowly becoming an abstract painter and transitioning away from realism, I found that in the winter months, I was more prone to do the abstract painting 
partially because like it is outside today, it's like it's blizzarding outside and super gray. Um, you, the, the, the winters here can be a little colorless, you know, and so to, <laughs> to, to stand there and like put, you know, these vibrant colors on canvas and they're vibrating in front of you, it's, it's, it's invigorating in the way that say going to botanical gardens is invigorating and seeing like all that bright color from the flowers. So I really am very much inspired by nature and the colors that come out of that. So, and I hope that what viewers can get out of this, what I want people to get out of this show and, and looking at these paintings, is a sense of energy, a sense of uplift, you know, in the way that sometimes if you listen to good music, like good classical music, it can really bring something up in you, you know, and, and create a sense of uplift. And so I don't know if I achieved it, but that's what I hope that people will spend the time looking at an individual artwork long enough that it can start to act on them. Brian says the sabbatical he took last fall to work on the art featured in this show will benefit his students and classes in several ways. Important to you. So for me as an artist, what's important to me, I think, is, is maybe what I'll bring back to the classroom is um, a renewed sense of energy in painting. That um, I mean, I love my job teaching, but you do find that your time gets frittered away in emails and committee meetings, and there's just a lot to do. <laughs> and so having so much time to paint what I can come back to the classroom with is a better sense of what it means to really be a painter, right? And so, um, so I, think, I think that energy is what I'm bringing back to the classroom. That's art professor and department chair Brian Baugh talking about his latest show called New Work. It's on display in the Everett Gallery, which is on the second floor of the Hughes Library through February 16. You can read more about it in the news section of the Monmouth College website, and that address is, of course, monmouthcollege.edu slash news. You're listening to the 1853 Podcast, and I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Monmouth College canceled afternoon classes last Monday, January 20, so that students, faculty, and staff could participate in a Martin Luther King Jr. Day of Service. But as college historian and editor Jeff Rankin points out in a recent essay on Medium, it's doubtful that any service project at Monmouth College will ever match the intensity of a volunteer effort that happened on campus back on January 21, 1970. On that day in 1970, the temperature never rose above zero, yet more than 800 Monmouth students joined the college's faculty and staff to carry the collection of the old Carnegie Library through the wind and snow down the hill to Monmouth's new Hughes Library. As Jeff explains, the Hughes Library marked the beginning of a new era at Monmouth College. Fifty years ago, Monmouth College was on the verge of having a, a real brand new campus. They had completed a capital campaign to build a new library and science building. And in 1970, January, the library had essentially been completed. It was a $1.3 million building, which in those days was about a $10 million building. You couldn't do that for the library these days. But they had to watch their, their funds and their, their expenditures. Therefore, they turned to the students of Monmouth College to help them with which, what would otherwise be a very costly move to move all 200,000 volumes from the old Carnegie Library to the new Hughes Library. They were really excited about getting this new library after, uh, you know, 70 years or so since the old library was built. 
and they wanted this modern new library and they wanted it uh, done and ready to use uh, as the new semester began in the spring. About 100 tons of books were moved that day. The average person made 15 to 20 round trips carrying the books. And volunteers consumed about 49 gallons of coffee and 3,000 cookies. Jeff says a big reason the day was a success was because of one individual at Monmouth College had it planned out. So what was really remarkable about it was the coordination of it. This was the brainchild of Harris Hauge, who was the longtime librarian, and he put many weeks of, of thought and, and preparation into it, uh, color coding all of the books with colored stickers so that once they were transported to the new home, they knew exactly where in the library that the things would go. Now, what was even more remarkable was the, the number of students that they were able to get to volunteer. Now, our, our enrollment in that period, it was one of our peak enrollments. We had almost 1,200 students. Uh, what was remarkable, they were able to get about two-thirds of the student body involved in moving. And this was done through the assistance of student organizations. We had Blue Key, which is the Men's uh, Honorary Society. We had uh, Ta Pai, which was the Women's Honorary Society. And then Tomahawk was the Independent Society. They began registering students in December before break. And uh, they hoped to get 600 students. They got, they got 800 students. And in addition to those students, all the faculty, the president, everybody was involved in this move. And it began at 9, 9 a.m. and it lasted till 5.30 p.m. on that cold winter's January day when the temperature never topped zero degrees. Then after the work was completed, there was a campus celebration that included what has become a legendary jello mold. When the old library was empty, they had a student dance that evening in the, in the uh, former library. And it was just a, a real sense of community. They, uh, they, they had served tons of coffee and, and uh, snacks during the day. They had a jello mold in the shape of a book that evening for dinner. It was just a remarkable day. And everybody who remembers that, and a lot of them are in their 70s now, that was a highlight of their college education at Monmouth. Uh, one of our professors from that time says it may have been the greatest day in the history of Monmouth College, and I wouldn't argue that. I think, you know, the sense of community and accomplishment and achievement in one single day was something for the history books. Monmouth's former library, which is now called Polling Hall in honor of Monmouth alumnus and former president and chairman of Ford Motor Company, Harold Red Polling, has enjoyed quite a history in its own right. It was renovated in the late 1990s. Yes, I, th I think there were, uh, you know, there were a number of Carnegie libraries uh, throughout Illinois, uh, very few college Carnegie libraries. Uh, what was uh, really uh, historic about that is it was under construction when our old main burned, which was located right next to it. So it was almost ready to occupy, and that was a lifesaver for the college when they had the tragedy of the main college building burning. Uh, right, right before winter hit, uh, hit. and uh, so you know, and it wasn't um, totally funded by the Carnegie Foundation. It was thirty-five thousand dollar matching funds that they had given, but uh, really, um, it served the college well. It it hadn't been intended for administrative offices, but because it emergency uh, caused it to be used for administrative offices, 
the uh, the president's office remained in there for uh, some time, and then the dean and the dean of students uh, was there and and still is there today. So uh, so it doubled. Uh, it wasn't just a library. And then when it emptied out, it was used for a number of things. Um, they they did uh, a, a Red Barn East. Uh, it was a th uh, a theater. Uh, improv and and open area where they could do theater productions uh in the winter because the old theater was too cold in the winter um and the the college bookstore occupied the whole main floor uh during the 1970s and they, they also did theater storage on the second floor so it really had a lot of uh diverse uses over its history and it still is used today uh in its renovated form it's it's a it's a very useful building it now has an elevator, which it didn't have then. So That's college historian and editor Jeff Rankin recalling January 21, 1970, a very special day in Mammoth history. You can read more about it on Jeff's Medium page, and that can be found at medium.com slash at sign Jeff Rankin. This is the 1853 Podcast, and I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. John Goddard, the winningest coach in Monmouth softball history, announced earlier this month that this season will be his final one in the dugout. Entering the 2020 season, which will be John's 13th at Monmouth, Fighting Scott softball teams have won a total of 211 games. And John has the second longest tenure of any active head coach in the Scots Athletic Department, trailing only track and field coach and director of athletics, Roger Haynes. John says he made the decision to retire when his body sent him a clear message. Uh, I've been thinking about it since the end of last year. Um, it's not, you know, a lot of people, oh, I hate this, blah, blah, blah. I love this job. I love what I'm doing. But... Eventually, your legs and your body tell you, hey, you may love it, but you can't do it anymore. So but that's really why I'm retiring is I'm physically not going to be able to do it again. John says that when he looks back on his 12 years as head coach, several memories stand out. Uh, I'm, the most memorable would be the, I think it was 2016 team that went 28 and 12, and we ended up getting second in the conference um, at the conference tournament. Um, we had Liz Hippen then pitching and Charlotte Park, home run leader, um, and Liz, the top pitcher. Uh, and we just fell short. Um, she threw a no-hitter in the uh, game to get us into the second day. And that was exciting. So um, another uh, with Caitlin Lingle's home run to uh, get ahead in the home run, um, most home runs uh, in a career um, happened in East Peoria. That was exciting. Uh, Lauren Bergstresser, naming people that come to mind, um, and her dominance of the stolen base records and a lot of the offensive records um, come to mind. Um, and I wasn't even the head coach back then, but Ashley Parr hit a home run at center field at uh, Rose Holman that for whatever reason, I never will forget. It was I think it was the only one she ever had. In addition to softball, John has also overseen the college's vibrant intramural program. This was like my home away from home, so I spent a lot of time here. Um, 
you, you might say it's because I had nothing else to do, but still, I enjoyed coming here. So, um, and I was willing to do. People needed baskets up or down or whatever. Willing to do that gave me something to do. Kept me interested. Kept me somewhat young. For John, coaching was a second act. He started coaching at Monmouth after spending close to 40 years in the business world. His first job at Monmouth was serving as an assistant to then softball head coach Kerry Shemin, who's now a full-time professor at the college. And John says working at Monmouth has been a great second career. That this was a great job for me. It met all my needs. It was fun. I met a lot of new people. I hope somebody along the way I had some kind of influence in their, a positive influence in their lives. Um, I would recommend it to anybody that uh, is interested in softball and young people. Um, I highly recommend this position. John says that his final Monmouth team should be a very competitive one this spring. We are going to be very competitive. Of course, all coaches say this at the beginning of the year, but um, I've shown the girls on the board where this should be our year. Um, they've been working hard in the off season. I expect them to continue to work hard in season. And we're going to be fast. So if you don't have anything to, else to do and you want to come and watch something exciting, come out and watch Monmouth College women's softball because we're going to be fast, good, and exciting. That's Monmouth softball coach John Goddard reflecting on his 12 seasons coaching the Scots. Monmouth's 2020 season, which will be John's final as head coach, begins on March 8 with the program's annual spring trip to Florida. To follow all of Monmouth College Athletics on Twitter, go to MC Fighting Scots. And for all of Monmouth College's social media accounts, check out the bottom of the homepage of the Monmouth College website, that's monmouthcollege.edu. And that's going to be a 30 for this 16th edition of Monmouth College's 1853 podcast of the 2019-20 school year. I hope you've enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody, and have a nice day. Thank you.